Hey, it's fall. The hustle and bustle of summer is over. It's pumpkin spice season. Life is slower, calmer. You can breathe easy. And then Nancy Pelosi says impeachment and the whole world, at least from the Ukraine to the United States, seems to be upside down. Hello and welcome to the Friday, September 2017, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, impeachment, of course. Beto wants your guns and King gets another challenger. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, and I do hate any variety of pumpkin spice. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Nelson of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, uh, James, and I actually do enjoy pumpkin spice. Ooh. All right. Well, Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief, uh, I think you're the deciding vote here on pumpkin spice. Good morning, Aaron. <laughs> Good morning, and I apologize, Tom. I'm, I'm with Brett on this one. <laughs> Regardless of your uh, position on pumpkin spice, you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, impeachment. Well, here we go. After months of tamping down enthusiasm in our House Democratic Caucus for ousting President Donald Trump for various and sundry allegations of high crimes and misdemeanors, Nancy Pelosi found impeachment religion and gave the green light to an impeachment <laughs> inquiry. One thing we need to decide is, is it, is it inquiry or inquiry? But uh, we'll leave that for in, another or day. Inquiry. <laughs> inquiry, yes. Aaron, it seems that both parties quickly staked out the high ground. Democratic members of Congress uh, took a stand on defending democracy and the Constitution. Republicans said the impeachment inquiry is further evidence that Democrats hate the president and want to overturn the 2016 election. Uh, I guess reasonable parties can disagree, although that might not apply here. But if that's the starting point, uh, where does the rhetoric go from here? Can, can we get more polarized uh, I'd love to say no, but uh, recent history suggests otherwise. I think this is only going to get worse. Well, I think what the hope is here is that there are at least some um, uh, reasonable voices, some um, um, adult voices in the room out there in, in Washington somewhere, and, and that the, the people that are um, – uh, charged with investigating this and and um and looking into these allegations that uh, we'll get something um akin to the Mueller report that 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 presents findings in a nonpartisan uh light and 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 then the the American public can um kind of make up their own minds from there I, that's that's the hope uh, uh look we got that essentially with the Mueller report so hopefully uh, lightning can strike twice um if if it's going to be left up to the members of Congress solely um, uh, to to you know try and argue this out on cable TV news, then um, yeah, we're we're all doomed and um, uh, might as well buy our passports now. Um, so so hopefully um, <laughs> we get the, um, some some solid you know credible investigation here that that um gives us the full picture of what did or did not happen um and 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 from there um you know reasonable um people can can draw their own judgments um 
that, that, that's the hope. That's the goal. I have my fingers crossed. We'll see. One of the things that's going to be different from the, the Mueller report, though, I think, is that um, we really didn't know what was in the Mueller report until it was published. I mean, there was a lot of speculation about what Mueller was doing and what he was learning and all. The, the, but it, the impeachment investigation or inquiry, it appears, is going to be done sort of in real time. And we'll be able to watch, uh, you know, if there are hearings, uh, we'll know as soon as, you know, members of Congress know uh, who said what. Um, so it's going to be, you know, uh, it, it'll be a live event compared to the waiting for the Mueller report to be published. Uh, Thomas, one of the storylines as we look at impeachment is that Democrats such as Abby Finkenauer and whoever Democrats nominate in the 2nd District to succeed Dave Loebsack may face pushback from voters who flipped from Obama to Trump in 2016 and then voted some of them voted Democratic in 2018. Um, polls have shown that voters aren't yet totally on board with impeachment, although just in the past week there's been an uptick in support uh, for impeachment. A poll I looked at this morning showed that uh, uh, support for impeachment among Republicans has doubled from 5% to 10%. Um, and at the same time, it seems the base of the Democratic Party will expect uh, their members of Congress to vigorously embrace impeachment. How do we walk through this minefield? Or how, how do these people like uh, Abby Finkenauer walk through that? Well, I mean, looking historically, uh, you know, Nixon, there was 19, from what I understand, there was 19% support for impeaching Nixon up until he resigned from office. And on the other, on the other end of the spectrum, um, during uh, President Clinton, Bill Clinton's impeachment proceedings, his party gained, I believe, you know, gained seats in the House and Senate during those. So it kind of depends on how strong of an argument um, that's uh, that's being made um, uh, for these proceedings. And, you know, I, I guess it really depends on how, not just how rhetorically, uh, how, how well uh, these proceedings are put in rhetorically, but how strong and how and how much information can get uh, released to the public to keep them informed, because I think it, it, it is a minefield. And I think, um, you know, a wrong step at this point by uh, Democrats could basically make them get put, put them very in a very vulnerable position in 2020. At the same time, I think the Republican Party as a whole is, uh, is more along the lines on the ropes on this one at the moment. Uh, simply because the information that's been presented, which I, I don't know whether we've gone into, but, uh, you know, basically concerns uh, President Trump having a conversation with the UK, uh, Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian president, asking him to uh, do him a favor, as I believe is, is the quote, uh, or uh, from uh, the, the conversation that he had with him on the phone, and look into and investigate uh, Joe Biden's involvement with uh, the, the the firing of a of a, uh, an attorney, a, a government attorney in uh, Ukraine that was investigating his son, uh, Hunter Biden. Um, there's a lot of information in there, but uh, prior to that phone conversation, this was a lot more complicated. But the implication that was released by the White House that Trump Asked for favor from the uh, for a political rival 
doesn't bode well uh, for uh, for the president and for his party overall. Yeah, I think the the release of the transcript or the rough notes of the transcript make it uh, much harder to defend uh, the president on this. I mean, you know, saying, hey, do me a favor. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we all know, understand what that means. Um, but, Brett, uh, I don't know if it's any easier for the Republican candidates than it is for the, the Democrats, as we just talked about. Uh, I mean, we've talked in the past about whether or not Republican candidates would want the president to come uh, campaign with them and uh, and uh, now the question is, how vigorously should they defend the president uh, to hold the support of the GOP base without losing those uh, swing swing voters? And, and I guess while that might not be a problem for, say, Steve King in the 4th District, uh, what about Republicans in Iowa's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, um, where, you know, the voter registration is more balanced? Uh, how, how vigorous do they, do they need to be in defending President Trump? Right. Well, I mean, it's a tough line to decide. You know, a lot of, excuse me, a lot of Republicans are going to have, you know, maybe one of their first things thinks is to, you know, defend the uh, person who's in their party, you know, but then they also have another instinct that says, you know, self-preservation. And, and if there is, you know, I guess a growing anti-Republican, you know, feel that's, that's happening as this, as we, you know, approach the election, then, then they have to, you know, basically decide, how, as you say, how you know how vigorously do we do we support him? And you know, and I guess you know, as polling comes on, is if we see if if there's a building fear that this is going to swamp Republicans, that it could be like a a wave type of election. You know, like happened after after Nixon's uh, after Nixon uh, I guess, was that seventy four, right? We've, that would have been a midterm election. Um, um, you know, how how like that kind of a um, wave year was coming, you know, then they have to really, really decide, you know, where, you know, how vigorously do I, do I defend the, the president? And, and, you know, I guess how, how close this goes into the 2020, you know, I can't imagine this being a short process. I mean, and, and we're, I guess, what, at this point, 13 months away from the election. So this is going to be, you know, such a heavy, heavy issue for, for people judging, you know, if you're just looking at the R's or D's on a, on a person's name, um, you know, what the ultimate upshot is of, of how the Trump impeachment plays out. And we don't know, you know, how that will play out if he's removed, you know, if you know the articles go, you know, all the way through, but it's, it's a, you know, it's, I, I want to support my party, but I also maybe need to distance myself is, you know, the mindset that they, they have to go through. Do you think uh, there are any implications in the fourth district primary uh, for King and his challengers? Um, well, so we have uh, Feinstra, uh, Randy Feinstra, Jeremy Taylor, Brett Richards, and and the new guy um, Steve Reeder. I mean, they all, they all may have different outlooks on it of um, you know how vigorously they want to defend the president, but um, you know you can certainly see the calculation being that. Uh, I, as I run against Steve King, will talk about the issues, the, you know, the, the core conservative issues, and kind of leave the talk of the president, depending on the president, out of it. You know, I suppose reporters like me, at, at some point, we need to um, talk to them about, hey, what do you stand on impeachment, and and um, you know, is this is it, you know, how is this something? Is it is it, is it a crapshoot? Is it something that you know, is it something that repo- 
that Democrats are just uh, wanting to hammer the president, as we've said, or, you know, is there any validity to it? And then, but then at the same time, you just, I think a lot of, I I believe that they would probably want to just steer clear of it and just like, okay, let's, let's, let's have that be background noise. Let's, let's, let me run my campaign and let me focus on the core issues, get to the June primary and, um, you know, appeal and, and reach Republicans, the, the conservative Republicans out there. And certainly, James, some, you know, some of the some of the people that are assessing these um, the congressional candidates in the fourth, they'll want a, a vigorous support of of the president. That they, you know, that this is cooked up, and and um, you know, they might be more likely to support someone. So it, it, it's you know, they're all going to have to make their own their own assessments and decisions on how, where to come down on that line. So there might be a uh... yeah. And to that end, I should uh, sorry, I should just toss in here, James. Sorry that. Uh, uh, Jeremy Taylor actually put out a statement this week, uh, you know, criticizing, you know, right. Nancy Pelosi and the the Democrats. So, so, so we got a little insight into at least one of them there. If this isn't a case where there will be one strategy for the primary and, and possibly a different strategy for the general election, where, you, you know, in the primary you're appealing to only Republicans, and, and uh, maybe you are more vigorous in your defense of the president in the primary, and then in the general you, I don't know take a different position so but i guess we'll we won't know <laughs> for a while <laughs> we'll have to wait and see but i think most of us are old enough to remember the, the impeachment of bill clinton and uh, i might be the only one old enough to remember richard nixon resigning to avoid impeachment uh, i'm thinking that donald trump <laughs> coming from the private sector uh, you know as a ceo must have an exit plan um anybody thoughts on what donald trump's golden parachute is I don't think he. Re- well, I don't think he resigns. I, I don't think there's any way he goes through this process without swinging. Um, uh, that's you know true Trump fashion. Yeah, that's exactly uh, what I was going to say. Well, well, I will say if you know if he is forced out, uh, rumor around the campfire during the 2016 election was that he was going to, if he lost the election, he was going to establish a, a Trump TV channel to rival Fox. So maybe that. Um, I, I predict that if he's uh, impeached and if the Senate goes along with it, maybe just impeachment is enough. He'll uh, barricade himself in the Oval Office and refuse to come out, uh, and they'll they'll have to send the Marines in to <laughs> remove him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving right along here, uh, Beto wants your guns, Thomas. Uh, Former Texas Representative Beta O'Rourke was in Waterloo recently to talk about guns and getting rid of so-called assault weapons. Um, curious what the reaction was from folks at his roundtable. Um, are, are they buying the buyback talk? And what was his audience there? Were these Democratic activists, or was this just sort of you know folks coming in off the street? Um, tell us more. Well, it was certainly it was a it was a group of it was a little bit of both. Um, you had a, a core group that was at the table um, of Democratic activists and elected officials, including uh, Representative Ross Smith and Senator Eric Giddens, along with uh, Mayor Quentin Hart and Blackhawk County Chairwoman uh, Blackhawk County Chairwoman Vicky Brown. And I and I think um, you know buybacks were talked a lot and. Um, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, everyone, the majority of the people that were there were African-American. 
And a lot of the discussion was about uh, how sometimes how how laws can uh, how laws uh, impact African Americans, especially gun laws, more so than uh, you know white people. And I think another uh, conversation was about how gun violence isn't just civilian on civilian, but also um, some of the people there felt that it was you know police officer on civilian and. Oh, that was that was a lot of discussion as well. Um, I, I think overall, a big co- part of that conversation was the fact that um, with the recent mass shootings, uh, things like assault weapons should be uh, uh, an assault weapons ban should go back into effect, like one that went back into effect in the nineties. And there was a lot of discussion um, about buyback as well. And and I think the crowd was fairly sympathetic or the, the, the crowd that was present um, at this round table uh, all agreed that we're all in agreement that more gun legislation and go, uh, more gun control is needed. And I, and I think at least in Waterloo and Blackhawk County, there seems, there seems to be a kind of a tipping point toward that where I think overall gun, le- you know, the members of the people in Blackhawk County are, uh, consider you know consider gun gun control more you know more attractive than perhaps they might have in the future, especially because in in the past year there have been at at least three uh, three standoffs involving guns, and the last one ended when the uh, uh, the person who who had put uh, was involved with the standoff took his own life in, in his house. So there's there's been a lot of controversy in Blackhawk County. Uh, in regards to in regards to guns and violent crime and violent gun crime and uh, specifically, Aaron, you were at the Polk County Steak Fry last weekend, and and Beto O'Rourke's campaign says he you know it was a breakout day for him, and but he wasn't the only one of the Democratic candidates talking about gun control and gun buybacks. Do you get the sense that there there's a consensus among the Democratic activists? Uh, that it's either gun buyback or buy-buy for the candidate, um, that they expect all the candidates to endorse a gun buyback program? Yeah, um, it was interesting. And, and uh, my take on it, and and, uh, and I'll talk about it in two kind of prongs here. Uh, one, at the steak fry, Beto O'Rourke call um, for for the gun mandatory buyback program, and, and he did his... Um, I, I, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember if I got this exact right, but hell yeah, we're going to buy your guns. The, uh, that moment from the debate that uh, is kind of caught fire with his campaign. That was one of the biggest applause lines of the day uh, of, of the 17 speakers, I think it was, candidates and, and all the different things they talked about. Um, and, and some other candidates uh, got a lot of um, uh, attention, but the, but that line that moment uh, Beto O'Rourke again talking about his um, gun buyback program was one of the biggest applause lines of, of the day so so clearly um, and when you talk to Democratic voters I, I hear that issue starting to creep up you know for the longest time um, climate change and health care were one two um, it, it, depending on the person um, between those two uh, which order but those were the two Topic that you heard most, um, the two issues that you heard most um, from Democratic voters of what were their priorities. The gun control thing has very much 
um, entered that um, uh, that top tier of of issues. Now that said, I don't have the sense yet, and, and I could be wrong, and, and we've got more time to, to, to figure this out. Caucuses are still a number of months away, but I haven't got the sense yet that the gun control policies are deciding or necessarily a swaying factor for people, uh, for Democrats, and which candidate they're going to choose. They're listening intently. They want to hear something. Don't get me wrong. They, they, they say it's a priority, but I have not yet heard enough people say that whether, you know, where they fall on the mandatory buyback versus a voluntary buyback versus no buyback at all. I haven't heard too many people saying that's what's going to help make them decide among this field of candidates for those people who, you know, have a list of three or four or five or whatever it is. I haven't yet heard that that's going to be the swaying issue. Still, the the number one thing I hear on that ground is who, who ultimately can win. So, so, so it's kind of an interesting and, and one that will be interesting to follow and continue to talk to Democratic voters about, um, you know, as it continues to gain their attention, will it become that kind of issue that, that helps move the needle um, as to who they caucus for or, or not? As of now, I do not get the sense it is yet. Interesting, interesting, uh, because it, I mean there just seems to be sort of slight degrees of separation between the candidates on on this, like you said, you know, mandatory buyback versus voluntary, that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see how that how much sway that has in the final decision. Moving along here, Brett, uh, another day, another Steve King challenger. Uh, tell us about the latest entry into what what is it now? A five way primary contest. That is right. It is five. Yes. Um, so this was yesterday on Thursday. Um, another candidate had come forward. Um, his name is Steve Reeder, and he's from up by Okapoji. Um, and he is a um, real estate developer, or real estate brokerage guy, I guess. Um, and uh, he's not, you know, he, he hasn't held public office, um, first time for elective office. And you, you can't say that he's, you know, a well-known person. He may be up in Okaboji, and he's um, um, uh, lived up in Okaboji not a huge amount of time. He's a native Nebraskan, so um, um, not, you know, not anyone with with high, high name ID whatsoever. Um, but that adds to, as I said before, I guess Randy Feenstra, state senator, and um, Jeremy Taylor is a former legislator from Sioux City. Um, Brett uh, Richards is from down in Irwin. And then this is the reader, and then King makes five, right? So, uh, is it more the merrier, at least for Steve King? Uh, more people running against him, the better the odds for him. Sure, I mean, there's a lot of thought out there that the more the more candidates that there are, the, the better this is for Steve King as as he goes to the June primary. That that any anti-King um, sentiment is diluted amongst amongst the you know the other four people and. I don't know, maybe there'll be another one or another two, you know, before we get to... Well, one thing I guess I, I, I do want to say is um, all, all these people are announced. We still have to get to March when you can officially file, you know, nomination papers to to be on the ballot. And, you know, I, potentially some of these people could drop out as, as we get closer. But, but yeah, I think the more um, the more that there are, um, again, as I said, that, that dilutes the vote and... and um, this morning, as I was was thinking about this, it's the first time I I don't believe we've talked about this before. But that thirty five percent threshold, which we have in for Iowa elections and primaries, that if um, 
if someone doesn't get the 35%, then it goes to a convention process. And that's, you know, the people that vote in, in primaries are very, you know, core, you know, solid uh, Republicans, but the people that in, that are involved in, in those conventions are even more sort of inside people that, you know, that would be making the decision. And you could, you know, debate whether that helps King or, or doesn't help King, if, you know, because we, you know, there's, you know, so maybe rank-and-file voters have some dissatisfaction with King, some don't. And then what we don't honestly know, because people aren't really speaking out to this extent, is how the, you know, the party you know, like the the county party chairman and, you know, the people that, you know, that would be in that kind of a um, convention, you know, where they stand. So um, it, it's very interesting. And, you know, more candidates makes more interesting race. Absolutely. That's a good point about uh, the filing deadline that some of these people might not actually file uh, in March. And, and didn't King get the nomination in the convention process right or did he win a primary in in 2002 when he first was elected yeah. is that what you're referencing yeah 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 it went to, it went to a special election there was there was four people in it that year um and i've written about this every so often i would i've written a blog i revisited this and it's it's a very interesting thing but steve king was a was a one-term state senator um there was um oh, segrist uh from council bluffs was a was a was very well known from the was a very well known from the legislator as a legislative issue. Uh, to this day, I still contend that there was there was two people from Council Bluffs and the Council Bluffs people sort of um, the two guys. Uh, he was a businessman, Jeff Ballinger, kind of somewhat split the vote there and maybe opened the door for King. But it took several votes over that day in June 2002, um, which came about a couple weeks after the primary. They had the special convention, and and from there, Steve King has risen and you know had a nine-term career from that from that point yeah interesting well we'll keep an eye on that and we'll talk about it on future editions of on iowa politics i hope it's been worth it your time today thanks for listening if you like the show tell a friend and subscribe to us on itunes or stitcher send fan mail to on at gmail.com and you can find us every week on the home pages of the quad city times sioux city journal muscatine journal mason city globe gazette waterloo cedar falls courier and the cedar rapids gazette Surf Zombies will take us out. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file. And remember to follow us on Twitter and to subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Thomas, Aaron, Brett, and our producer Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.